0: welcome back to the hemingway list podcast the best podcast in the world we're talking about chapter 64 misery loves company kind of felt bad for young philip in this chapter i am norwegian says i'm not sure why philip was gay became one word i have a feeling my ebook copy is just some automatic scan without any quality control i don't mind though occasionally the mistakes are funny um, Matistrick said, if you do start minding, here's a link to a better copy of the ebook. That's the one, I know it's not, standardebooks.org, where we're using the, uh, Project Gutenberg version, but they're probably exactly the same. Jan Brunt said this, I hope Philip sticks with medicine like he plans. That being said, I think he way overestimates his ability to deal with patients. He's not much of a people person, but I've had, yeah, it was weird to hear him say he's a people person because... Or like he's interested in people, is what he said, because that doesn't seem true. By the way, tonight's episode is brought to you by A Beer, which is delicious. Having a podcast beer tonight. Um, He's not much of a people person, says Jan Brunt, but I've had plenty of doctors with crappy bedside manner, so he'll probably fit right in. He does enjoy travelling and interesting locales. So I think working abroad and getting paid for it might suit him. It wasn't terribly nice for Mildred to string him along without really caring for him, but she never deceived him. As it said in the text, sorry, as it was said in the text, maybe for love she could overlook poverty, but she never loved him. Yet she was pretty upfront about everything. Like, she was blatantly indifferent. Her response to everything is, I don't care. So she didn't really deceive him, I wouldn't say. Uh, she probably could have, if anything, been more upfront. But even she she even said things like she didn't want to be with him. So she was very upfront. Uh, she's getting married and good for her. That Miller fellow makes her laugh and they seem to get along from what we've seen. Unlike Philip, she never had a chance to try on multiple professions or make her own money. David Ancio. So this, I definitely enjoy seeing Philip in China or India, although I don't really think that's going to happen in this book. Maybe it's just his dream for a while that he then discards, or maybe this turns out to be like a modern Noah's, Noah Gordon's The Physician. I guess we'll have to keep reading. I don't know that book, but um, I'd like to see him go abroad again. It was fun. And Tripper said, I'm hoping still that he becomes a writer, but nothing is indicating that. Laura Wystitch says, I can't see he being successful at becoming a doctor, so it's possible, I guess. You know, I can see him becoming a successful doctor. He's sticking with it, even though he's failed two semesters in a row, but he's now kind of resigned to it, so I just feel like he will. And I also feel like it maybe wasn't as hard back then to do. As long as you got into the uni, which he did, then... Uh, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up now. And Trepper said this, Waste. Look at the movement of that child. Look at the pattern which the sun makes on the ground, shining through the trees. Look at that sky. Why, I should never have seen that sky if I hadn't been to Paris. I think this is my favorite quote of the book so far. Philip's experience in Paris taught him to see the beauty around him. Yeah, that was a nice little moment. Although, the cynic in me the cynic in me thought, this is what I thought, um, that he wasn't seeing the beauty around him because of the two years he was in Paris. He was just making an excuse for being overly sentimental because he was aware that his crush was getting married at the same time. I think he was just in a soppy mood, and so he was, he was, he was being overly sentimental because of that. And I think he would have either way if he never went to Paris. That's my cynic side speaking. What do you think of that, though? Anyway, um, let's read another chapter. And um, here's an ad for you. Today's episode of this podcast is brought to you by... Brought to you, not brought to you. Brought to you by patreon.com slash the Hemingway list, which is where you can go if you want to be an absolute bloody excellent legend and donate. Uh, Oh, it's a short chapter, this one. This won't take long at all. It's chapter 65, and it goes exactly like this because I'm reading it. Haywood's visit did Philip a great deal of good. Each day his thoughts dwelt less on Mildred. He looked back upon the past with disgust. He could not understand how he had submitted to the dishonour of such a love. And when he thought of Mildred, it was with a hatred. It was with angry hatred, because she had submitted him to so much humiliation. His imagination presented her to him now with her defects of person and manner exaggerated, so that he shuddered at the thought of having been connected with her. "'It just shows how damned weak I am,' he said to himself. The adventure was like a blunder that one had committed at a party, so horrible that one felt nothing could be done to excuse it. The only remedy was to forget— His horror at the degradation he had suffered helped him. He was like a snake casting its skin, and he looked upon the old, covering with nausea. He exulted in the possession of himself once more. He realized how much of the delight of the world he had lost when he was absorbed in that madness which they called love. He had had enough of it. He did not want to be in love any more. if love was that. Philip told Hayward something of what he had gone through. Wasn't it Sophocles, he asked, who prayed for the time when he would be delivered from the wild beast of passion that devoured his heart strings? Philip seemed, really, to be born again. He breathed the circumambient air as though he had never breathed it before, and he took a child's pleasure in all the facts of the world. He called his period of insanity six months hard (laughs) labour. Heywood had only only been settled in London a few days when Philip received from Blackstable, where it had been sent, a card for a private view at some picture gallery. He took Haywood, and, on looking at the catalogue, saw that Lawson had a picture in it. I suppose he sent a card, said Philip. Let's go and find him and he's sure to be in front of his picture. This, a profile of Ruth Chalice, was tucked away in a corner and Lawson was not far from it. He looked a little lost, in his large soft hat and loose pale clothes, among the fashionable throng that had gathered for this private view. He greeted Philip with enthusiasm and with his usual volubility, told him that he had come to live in London, Ruth Chalice was a hussy, he had taken a studio, Paris was played out, he had a commission for a portrait, and they'd better dine together and have a good old talk. Philip... "'reminded him of his acquaintance with Hayward "'and was entertained to see that Lawson was slightly awed "'by Hayward's elegant clothes and grand manner. "'They sat upon him better than they had done "'in the shabby little studio which Lawson and Philip had shared. "'At dinner, Lawson went on with his news. "'Flanagan had gone back to America. "'Clutton had disappeared.' He had come to the conclusion that a man had no chance of doing anything so long as he was in contact with art and artists. The only thing was to get right away. To make the step easier, he had quarreled with all his friends in Paris. He developed a talent for telling them home truths, which made them bear with fortitude his declaration that he had done with that city and was settling in Girona a little town in the north of Spain which had attracted him when he saw it from the train on his way to Barcelona. He was living there, now, alone. I wonder if he'll ever do any good, said Philip. He was interested in the human side of that struggle to express something which was so obscure in the man's mind that he was, that he was become morbid and querulous. Philip felt vaguely that he was himself in that same case. But with him, it was the conduct of his life as the, as a whole that perplexed him. That was his means of self-expression, and what he must do with it was not clear. But he had no time to continue with this train of thought, for Lawson poured out a frank recital of his affair with Ruth Chellis. She had left him for a young student who had just come from England and was behaving in a scandalous fashion. Lawson really thought someone ought to step in and save the young man. She would ruin him. Philip gathered that Lawson's chief grievance was that the rapture, rupture had come in the middle of a portrait he was painting. "'Women have no real feeling for art,' he said. "'They only pretend they have.' But he finished philosophically enough. However, I got four portraits out of her, and I'm not sure if the last I was working on would ever have been a success. Philip envied the way, the easy way, in which... The painter managed his love affairs. He had paused eighteen months pleasantly enough. He had got an excellent model for nothing and had parted from her at the end with no great pang. And what about Cronshaw? asked Philip. Oh, he's done for, answered Lawson with a cheerful callousness of his youth. He'll be dead in six months. He got pneumonia last winter. He was in the English hospital for seven weeks and when he came out they told him once they told him only, they told him his only chance was to give up liquor. Poor devil, smiled the abstemious, abstemious Philip. He kept off for a bit. He used to go to the Lylas all the same. He couldn't keep away from that, but he used to drink hot milk, avec de la fleur d'oranger, and he was damned dull. I take it you did not conceal the fact from him. Oh, he knew it himself. A little while ago, he started at whisky again. He said he was too old to turn over any new leaves. He would rather be happy for six months and die at the end of it than linger on for five years. And then I think he's been awfully hard up lately. You see, he didn't earn anything while he was ill, and the slut he lives with has been giving him a rotten time. I remember. The first time I saw him, I admired him awfully, said Philip. I thought he was wonderful. It is sickening that vulgar middle-class virtue should pay. Of course he was a rotter. He was bound to end in the gutter sooner or later, said Lawson. Philip was hurt because Lawson would not see the pity of it. Of course it was cause and effect, but in the necessity with which one follows the other lay all tragedy of life. Oh, I'd forgotten, said Lawson. Just after you left, he sent round a present for you. I thought you'd be coming back, and I didn't bother about it, and then I didn't think it worth sending on. But I'll come over to London with the rest of my things, and you can come to my studio one day and fetch it away if you want it. You haven't told me what it is yet. Oh, it's only a ragged little bit of carpet. I shouldn't think it's worth anything. I asked him one day what the devil he'd sent the filthy thing for. He told me he'd seen it in a shop in the Rue de Rennes and bought it for 15 francs. It appears to be a Persian rug. He said you'd asked him the meaning of life and that that was the answer, but he was very drunk. Philip laughed. Oh, yes, I know, I'll take it. It was a favourite wheeze of his. He said I must, out, I must find out for myself or else the answer meant nothing. righty, there we go. There's a chapter for you. I like that chapter. Um... I liked it. I liked it. Have your say about it over on the subreddit. Thanks very much for listening and I will see you tomorrow.